statutes of oh, limitations. We're live. I can jump yeah. on. I can yeah, you, you might not want to out your dad for for disposing of turkey carcasses because uh, that that might still be actionable. Or, you know. or just delete your last name so no one knows who your dad is. <laughs> um, but hey, but we are live now, and uh, and so uh, for those of you that are joining us, this is Pathfinder Unscripted, and we're talking about good people and what does it mean to be good enough, and, and how does that relate to heaven and, and some of our actions here in this life. And we're joined by Sean Carson today. And just kind of naturally, the conversation had turned towards just things that we do that are maybe a little questionable and, and what other people might think of that. So opening question for you guys is what's something that you do that that maybe others would find a little morally questionable that you'd be that you're willing to share with the public today? Oh, gosh, um, probably, you know, my, my wife works at HR. She always makes sure to tell me that I'm an HR nightmare, um, probably the. <laughs> The level of cursing that I do at work, um, whether just to my team that I work with closely, meetings, any of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I've actually found myself filtering myself more working from home since the kids are around all the time. Uh, but that's probably the thing. She, she always, even when she listens to my meetings, she's just, you are just an HR nightmare. So that's probably it. That's funny that you say that because for me, the language thing came to mind but in the home setting that I've never really censored much in front of my kids. We've always been, we're like, Hey, those are grown up words. You know, we didn't talk about bad words or just, those are grown up words. They're strong words. You gotta, you gotta be a little older to know how to use those carefully and wisely and words, words have context. And, but I mean, I have horrified some friends, you know, as they just kind of hear me use pretty loose language. And I think overall, I'm pretty just, I'm pretty, I, I don't shield my kids from a lot of stuff, which I think some people see as a morally questionable decision. Mm. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of about helping them see life as it is and navigating it and dipping their toe in the water. So I don't know. I mean, they're probably more salacious things, but I, you know, it's not 10 o'clock at night. We're not sitting around a bar. And so I'm, I'm not going to disclose those things. <laughs> One day we'll get back to that format. Yeah. The kids, even at the young age, they can use those words correctly. Uh, that's been that's the times that my my son has dropped it, and it's been correct. You're you, you're like almost a little bit proud, but at the same time, you're also horrified because you know we got it from you. Um, <laughs> the nice thing is, is based on what word it is, we know which parent he got it from. Um, so sometimes you know, like, hey, that that that's you. Uh, that that yeah. was not me. Um, yeah. But we were on an elevator at a hotel in Chicago after a stressful train trip. And my daughter was mirroring me, dropping the F-bomb many times while there were other people in the elevator. And so it did. Right. That That's how you know that it's morally questionable because everyone's looking at you like, what is yep. wrong with you? You know, you might as well have been playing with her in on Michigan Avenue or something in traffic. You're yeah. Like, oh, horrified. Yeah. 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 And the way things get presented when you have kids. Um, mine is, uh, and, and it's, it's often becomes a source of tension between me and my wife. I feel like I understand the spirit of the law behind traffic lights. And, <laughs> and if I feel like the, the spirit of the law is I, I'm making a safe decision, I will happily violate traffic lights and it freaks her out. Every so I want to know, is this like, I'm stopped at this light. I'm tired of waiting. No one's coming. I'm just going to go. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> If I've got full range of vision, I'm like, there's no blind corners here. There's not a, like, I can, I can see everybody. Um, or lately they, um, they put a, uh, 
so the main so there's this main road that goes by church manchester road and my outlet or my, my access point to it was previously you could just turn left onto it and, and get to church and about oh. six months ago they put a sign up that says no no more left turns onto manchester <laughs> you guys have to drive around the world i know where you're talking about you have to drive all the way around the world to be able to make a left turn that's ridiculous oh yeah i've got to go like like multiple blocks and about a half a mile over kind of by your guys' house in New Baldwin to be able to get to a place to turn left. And, and so, yeah, I'll be there. And if it's like, you know, so it says 7am to 7pm, but if it's any, any time or if I'm, cause here's, here's my thing there. It's because it gets backed up. Like a lot of too many people want to turn left, but if I'm there and there's no one behind me that I'm holding up because I'm waiting for the left turn, I'm like, this is the point they're, they're, they're trying to keep traffic moving. And my, my waiting to see if there's a spot for me to turn left is not, messing up anyone's commute i will totally uh just turn left there because yeah i think i i think i know why that sign's there and <laughs> i'm abiding but you know me, better than those then. <laughs> well this so is, this is I've, the, been doing, I've been doing a lot of that in this whole covid stuff with all the regulations i'm like no no see i understand why they have that rule i know the spirit of the rule i'm honoring the spirit of the rule the letter of the you know like yeah i and you know maybe there's something self-serving about that but it works for me. It does. Although uh, on, on this idea of like the idea behind this whole thing, that it's really hard to tell what's good or right. And, and you're trying to just honor the spirit of, of the rules. There's um, there's a woman and it makes me feel like a jerk every time, but um, I go for runs around our neighborhood and there's one other woman who, who is always out on a run. And normally, you know, we pass it. You know, I'm again, I see her every day that I go for a run and just a nod and a wave. I mean, but since this all went down, when she sees me even a block away, she will either turn around and run the other direction, or there's been twice now where, where we just kind of got stuck. We're on the same street. And, I was, and I'm thinking, like, I'll cross the other side of the street. We'll have the whole street between us, you know, her on one side, walking on the other. She's like dodging into people's bushes, like on their, in their lawn to get away from me because she thinks I'm too close to her. And it just makes me feel terrible because I'm, I'm, I'm I don't know what else to do there. Like you're a good 20 feet away already. Yeah. And, but now you're like, she's like diving through bushes hey. to get away from me. You well, should that's not feel terrible. That is not your problem. <laughs> and that's no, the funny thing about these, <laughs> that's the funny thing about these walks too, is like you, you're passing people and everybody's kind of walking and they give the head, the, the head down nod, mm. but we're not going to talk because if we talk, we might pass the COVID. Uh, and it's, everything is awkward right now. Yeah. Going mm. to Costco is awkward. Because everybody's just kind of walking around with like on their like, you know, scared of, of everything and people and head down. There's not talking. Yeah. And it's just everywhere we go, it's awkward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, and it's hard to talk with a mask on. And so a lot of even even when I'm doing the right, the quote unquote right thing, a lot of the social niceties are gone because I don't. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to bridge that gap. I, I saw a guy at Snooks that I hadn't seen in a, in a while. And so we were just kind of catching up and it was, it was like, I'm trying to like, feel like I have to yell to get through this mask. And at the same time, like we're standing across the aisle. Well, now we're blocking all traffic. And so then we're kind of like moving, trying to dodge, like to where we're not impeding other people. And I think it was like two minutes. I was like, okay, this is too much. Oh yeah. Cause you guys stopping to talk, you've now created a barrier of humanity that no one can now get through you without. No one can get pickles, relish, <laughs> um, what pepperoncinis? I mean, because you had to stop and talk to a buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's I it. Think, maybe that's my that moral. That's my 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 thing that I'm. You know, my my moral compass is wrong on. 
Well, maybe. Well, but on that, so one of the questions we got, and I think this is a really good question, and, and we're kind of naturally getting there, but this idea that we still have to navigate choices in life. So, so they're, I think they're granting, I think they listened to the message and they're granting the premise that, okay, this whole good, bad, heaven thing. But right now we still have to navigate life, which involves discerning between good and evil. And so how should we choose between the different moral choices facing us? So that's the question. Do you guys want to weigh in? That's like a giant question. <laughs> well, we got half an hour. Here we cover it. I actually talked a little bit about this in my hope update yesterday. I think that we are called to live with a level of responsibility, but and Doug, you, you addressed this in one of the questions that uh, came up. I can't remember which one, but I remember you answering this pretty well um, that we're called to live with a level of responsibility and to be stewards and to be wise. And, but we're not, we ultimately can't predict outcomes. And I think we get paralyzed. You talked about paralysis in this place of hyper responsibility where we're not only claiming, you know, a sense of responsibility, but we think it's on us to control the outcomes and everything else. And so I think when it comes to ethics, I, and especially for me as a Christian, I put a lot of value on where my heart is, you know, where, what is my heart and my intention? Intention and motive matters deeply to God. And I think God can take corrupt action that's offered with a pure intention or a pure heart and he can bless it, and God can take right action that's offered with uh, impure heart, and, you know, he can, he can thwart it, you know, he can work against it, and I really do think that God, and, and so for me, I, I try to think more about the heart with which, or the intention with which I offer things, and I, so what, and Jesus talks about this, you know, what is it that makes a man unclean, not the things that put in him, that you put into him, but it's the things that come out of a man, and out of the kind of impure desires of the heart, and so, you know, I try to live as, as pure heartedly as I can and um, trust God to sort it all out and let him figure out the ethics of it. You know, Doug, one of the things that you brought up in the, in the sermon that I, that I really liked and I wrote it down was, you know, like all kind of all the idea of like, okay, well, there's so much different information out there. Like, which do you listen to and which are you going to follow? Um, and the first thing that popped in my head is, oh, the, the, all of the information that we have now and the way it's given to us, we are simply just going to follow whatever information that we already agree with. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, especially, you know, with any of this COVID stuff, do you, do you feel like that, that, you know, that we need to get out there and get, get going earlier? Well, I'm going to listen to one media outlet. Um, do you feel like, oh man, we need to, we need to close everything up for even longer and we need to, you know more stimulus and give more money and all that sort of stuff. Well, I'm going to go to a totally different media outlet and the way that we're given the information, you know, Google learns how the, 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 the practices and, and the sites we visit. So that's what they're going to feed us first. So we all live in our own little cocoon of getting backed up information of the thoughts and feelings that we already have. And yeah. so that's simply, I think that's right. where, and so now we're, you know, and, and the other thing that sucks too, is that we're, we're all given this like, little bits of information because there's such this thirst for knowledge that they're not flushing out what's accurate and what's not or what we you know they're just like oh a little bit oh by the way now for some reason smokers are not getting covid to the level that we thought they were so nicotine has something to do with it oh shit now i'm gonna sorry now i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna buy nicotine patches and nicotine gum even though we don't know what that what that that causation cor correlation is 
on that. Hey, that's all I needed to know. So you just gave me freedom to become a smoker? If yeah. I, <laughs> I said, yeah, that's like, I, I quit smoking, you know, 20 years ago or something and smoked through high school and college. And it's still one of the dirty habits that I'm like, oh, I hated that. That was gross. I would totally do it again if like. Really? I would. I don't know. It's weird. Oh, man. Because I, I don't. There are so many things I didn't like about it, but I mean, you just maybe gave me the reason. So I'm blaming you, Sean Carson. Well, you just tried to share some knowledge and you're going to use it to ethically ethical, you know, bad. Yeah. You know what? I mean, it's not, not necessarily bad. There's a lot of people's jobs depend on it. Philip Morris would really appreciate you um, doing that. So. Well, yeah, we'll have unintended consequences again, right? Like there's, there's people that would, that will be kept in business by Dion repicking up his smoking habit. (laughs) Which is going to be harder to do. Like all the grocery, I just noticed this. All the grocery stores in our area have stopped selling cigarettes. Did you notice that? It's like a new new policy. Like, hmm. I, mean, I think just as a choice. I don't think there was a law or anything that changed. I think yeah. they just yeah. decided to stop doing it. But Sean, I think you make a really great point that we live in this time of some sort of like epistemic closure. That you that you actually are, you're not looking for new things that challenge your beliefs. You're just looking for things that reinforce. And, and I've felt that just in myself, um, especially like um, the Apple News app on my phone. Um, like I've just noticed that I get a very narrow wedge of headlines even these days. And, and so narrow that I'm noticing. And I'm like, why, don't, why am I not getting any other? Con- I'm only getting like three. So, and again, they've, they've got an algorithm that says those are the ones that I tended to click on. And so that's where I and so that's what they're, they're still sending. Yeah. But, but yeah, but it, 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 um, it gives the lie that we think that morality or goodness is this external force that's being, that's, that's morphing and changing us. And I think the honest reality for most of us is we're looking for things that confirm the goodness we've already decided. Instinctually, gut, at a gut level, we've decided something's right. Yeah. Which I think has been the problem with, with some of the God stuff. I mean, I remember when this was big probably 20 years ago, but they were talking about like the God gene that like they, you know, scientists mm-hmm. thought they discovered a, a, a gene in our chromosome that were like, oh, people that have this, this genetic marker are more predisposed to be people of faith, you know, to be, to believe it. And they, so they're yeah. calling it the, the faith gene, the God gene. Yeah. And again, same deal that like, hey, there's no actual objective outside truth of God. There's just people that are genetically predisposed to want to believe in something. So and so they do, and, and it's the exact same kind of kind of scenario. But for you guys, so so back to the question, trying to honor the question. You know, how do we how do we choose among the, the different things? Do you guys have a, a rubric or a litmus that you use to try to keep yourself honest for for navigating moral choices? I mean, like I said, for me, it's, it's a lot about motive and intention and what's, you know, what's loving, what's each basic great commandment, what's actions are loving of God and my neighbor as myself. And, um, and I, I think that's, I think it's been an interesting part for me of my moral journey that I think, and, and maybe this is part of, maybe this is part of, I'd be curious about like human development there's, there's a first, at first, a moral scaffolding that you have to give that's very literal. That is, you know, don't do this, don't, you know, don't hit your sister, don't bite people, don't, you know, like do this, you know, clean up after yourself, cough into your arm. Like you're, you're giving all these rules, and, you know, we get these pages and pages of rules, which I think initially, before you can, before maybe you, you come to a higher level of thinking and you can think abstractly and reason, 
you need that scaffolding. And I, I, I sort of reason that even um, in God's revelation of himself, you see him doing this as he's bringing these, they're pretty savage people, uh, the Israelites out of Egypt and trying to form them. Um, we, we talked about this maybe a couple of weeks ago, but you know, they're, they're pretty formless. They've, they've been abused. They're slaves. They, they don't have much of an identity and he starts forming them. He has to create this enormous amount of scaffolding. This is how you worship. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is the way you offer. These are the things you offer. You offer this thing for this thing, this thing for this thing. Oh, and then all these laws and, you know, bajillions of laws and some of them, some of them are moral, some of them are ceremonial, like there's different kinds of law. But then, but then over the, over the, and this is kind of like an evolutionary maybe view of morality or human consciousness or growth, which I think mirrors my own spiritual journey. Those, those specific things become less critical as your heart gets more and more informed by the character of God, the, the, the values of God. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was an epiphany for me when I discovered, you know, all these words, righteousness and holiness and godliness, that godliness is really like a, like a God word inclination of the heart. Um, that's what it is to be godly. It's not necessarily about your behavior, but it's more about the inclination and the direction of your heart. That I, I, I have a heart that is moved, that wants to move toward God, not away. And that really jived with my experience to say, over the course of my journey, learning more about Jesus, learning more about what he's done for me, learning moral law, there was kind of this thing where the scaffolding started to fall away and my heart has just become more and more, and albeit it's imperfect and it's also inclined to a lot of things that are not of God. Um, but my heart has become more and more inclined to the things of God, the things of Jesus. And in, in that, there kind of is, there's, there's this freedom where I don't feel like I have to, you know, again, you know, what was, it, was it 1300 commandments or something? Or, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm terrible. Six, 676 by command. That's what it is. And then you add all the, you add all of the uh, additional laws outside of it in the, in the rabbinical traditions. And I mean, you end up with thousands and so you, laws upon laws upon laws. And, and then Jesus comes in and he goes, love the Lord to God with all your heart and love your neighbor yourself. I mean, everything rests on this, but I, but I think, so I think for me, and just again, in my journey of having God inform my heart and direct my heart, I feel like there's more and more in me that, um, again, imperfect, but just, or, or even in the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is, is moving and prompting and it moves as it pleases. And so there's, there's this freedom from the scaffolding, all the external structures of what ethical choices do I make? And I think it becomes this more God-directed journey that we talk about here at Pathfinder, this God-directed journey um, that, that, is, that is more about the condition inclination of my heart and what God is prompting me to do than it is, you know, all of these objective evaluations of my moral choices, which is, I think, why sometimes I can make decisions that I, I, I fully believe and would argue are okay in the sight of God, and I don't need to cite any ethical moral framework for it. I just, I know the heart of God. I know the intention of God for me. I know what God wants for me, and not just for me, but for other people, and so, I, I you know, there's this new rubric to make decisions for me. That's a really long answer. Yeah, well, but it comes back to your confidence in that you understand what God, you at least have a glimpse of what God wants for you, maybe not the full yeah. revelation of that. Right. And, and I think so many people, they, I don't think people know. I think you ask your average, even church attender, you know, does God want best, the best for you? Is, is God, does God love you and value you and think you're worth something? I think people might be able to give 
Sunday school answers to that, but but I think it's it's a lack of certainty in those things that then makes the ethical framework so difficult because as long as you're certain, like you say, then the complicated stuff kind of kind of falls away. Well, and God then revealing what his best is, you know, not not you know, in a legalistic, you know, item number 15, subsection two, this is, but as you start to get a sense of when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and all these things that are better, you start to understand, like, okay, my idea, my human idea of best. That's, that's not God's best. That's not the stuff he wants for me. God, God wants a higher set of things for me. But as, but as the kingdom of God that Jesus talks about, um, as that becomes more as, you know, thy will be, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven, as that stuff starts to settle in me. And again, I'm, I don't mean to sound like I'm enlightened or, or perfect in any way, but I've just noticed over the course of my journey, this, this transition where I'm less concerned about all of the external things because I, I, I just know I, I'm learning more who God is. I understand that he wants good things for me, that he's for me, not against me. And I understand not just that he wants good things for me. I'm beginning to understand finally and see what the truly good things are. And I'm still on that journey, but it's like you start to, God starts to reveal. And I mean, this is, this is what Jesus teaches about and what Paul teaches about. And um, you start to see what the good things are and you go, oh, and then you, you, you taste and see and you say like, is this really good? I'm not sure this is good. God says this is good. And you start to, you're like, oh no, this, wow, this is good. I never would have thought. And anyway. No, on that that note, to, oh, go ahead. So I was going to say all that to say, just, just don't be a jerk. I mean, I remember one, uh, it was a Friday evening, Saturday evening, something like that. It was later. I sent Doug a text with a song I'd, that came on the, the radio and I was like, hey, I think this is the most Christian song I've ever heard. And it was just called Don't Be a Dick by uh, Bowling for Soup. And that's basically the entire song. And, that's well, and it's a paraphrase of what Jesus is saying, right? Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's what it boils down to. Well, and, and, well, and I, I like that in, in that subjectivity, in that gray area, you really do find clarity. Like you don't have to define that precisely to know what that looks like. You know, it's like the Supreme Court justice that's, you know, being asked to define the difference between art and porn. It's like, you know, it can't necessarily define it, but you know the difference. And, yeah, you, do, and, you know when you see it. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's how that works too. Like, like I think one of the things that's been so interesting is to see like, as I've taken counseling courses, to see how narcissists tend to interact with others because they're, they're always trying to pin you down on a legalism. Like, oh, the thing I did, it wasn't that bad. It was this, you know, and, and, and the, the only way to cut through it is, look, you're being a jerk. Everyone can tell you're being a jerk. Like, what, you're, gonna, you're trying to make me parse out every action in isolation to prove that it wasn't that bad. But, but yeah, no, it was. Like, we can just, we can just admit that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that I, I think it was, you know, boss I had or, or uh, you know, something that was like, you know, decisions at work, work in retail, whether you're going to do something, you know, in sales, whether you're going to do something immoral or not. is like, you know, just think about, like, having to call your mom and tell her why you got fired from your job, you know, is, was kind of a good thing or, or, you know, what would you think if that showed up in the newspaper, what you were thinking about doing was, was kind of, I, I like the, you know, what happens if, what, what am I going to tell my mom if I, if I do something and have to call her and tell her why I lost my job? So that's brilliant. I, uh, I've always, I've shared this recently. I've always struggled with the uh, traditional definition of integrity. The one that says, you know, doing the right thing when no one's looking like th- that's always been, this never made sense to me, but that, like, would you be willing to tell your mom about this? That works instantly. Like that immediately gets to it. 
No, as I was thinking about the question while you were talking, Dion, I think one of the things that, that's hit really for me. You're supposed again, to be listening to me when I'm talking, Doug. You're not thinking. Well, you know, I listened for the first two minutes. You anything. <laughs> <laughs> She's taught me that tuning out and just saying yes to you works, works better than yeah. I would have ever thought. Um, no, just uh, besides this, I, people are always looking for a clear-cut black and white universal prescription for everyone's actions. And, and what you were describing is just is, is a little more subjective. Uh, but one of the things that's, that's been really helpful for me is, um, and it started with that book, Leadership and Self-Deception, which we've talked about a few, a bit here, but. but Brilliant that, book. If you've not read it, I mean, like, I just recommend that it's, it's a parable kind of book, super easy to read. There's a pretty good audio book for it too, if you're an audio book person, but man, that is, Leadership and Self-Deception is what it's called, but it's, it is just such a basic human like you don't have to consider yourself a leader. You don't have to even imagine yourself deceived. It is such a great personal growth book. Anyone can grow from that book. Mm-hmm. Here you are. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's my shit. Get paid for that endorsement. <laughs> Although, yeah, so we have no connection with the Arbinger Institute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, exactly. And one of the principles that are is distilled from that book is that is that we tend to get the most mad ethically when we have committed an act of self betrayal. And to just recognize that when I, when I'm feeling the most morally outraged, the most righteous, you know, self-righteously angry at someone else, uh, that's the surest sign that there's actually something broken in me or something that, that, that tapped into in me that I have to evaluate. And and so when I, when it comes to me navigating things, it's become this really great limit test that when I find myself getting angry at another person based on their actions, their choices, their immoral behavior, um, it, it's without fail. There's something wrong in me that that's that I need to deal with. And then, and then the flip side, which then gets to the question about how to choose when I feel like I'm able to, when I feel like I need to call someone out or I need to choose a particular behavior and I'm not angry about it, that's become one of the surest signs that I'm operating in a place of grace, that I'm in a, I'm in a good spot. This isn't, there isn't some deep secret shame that's, that's driving this. Uh, and uh, and so that's been a huge litmus test for me, that if something makes me angry as self-righteous or morally justified as it might seem, it's probably not for me. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, go ahead. Even part, I was going to say, even part of this conversation reminds me of like, you know, I went through college and seminary right when postmodernism was a big buzzword in, in, you know, relativistic thinking and there could be many truths. And of course, like that was, you know, like, no, that's not true. There's one truth. And um, and so I can I can imagine that for maybe some, this sounds very like relativistic, like there is no truth, there is no morality, you just do what's right in your own sight, which, you know, in the Bible is not a way to live where everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And that's, that's actually not what I'm talking about. Um, so I would just say, if, if that's what you hear, that's not what's actually being said. And I understand why that's why you might hear because they sound very similar. What I'm talking about is having having this, yeah, having a heart that's so informed and increasingly informed by the kingdom of God, by the things of Jesus, that, um, that you can just, you can kind of live free of all of the rigidity. You can be a little more, you can be a little more flexible. And yet somehow I think it actually drives you to more wholehearted ethical, moral action without all of the scaffolding of, of the enormous list of rules. And, um, and, and then this, something else that you, Doug, Doug, that, uh, that I thought of when you were speaking and I was listening because I heard you three times this weekend. <laughs> Um, but, um, you just a simple phrase of, you know, when it comes to moral action or, you know, unintended consequences, just that simple phrase of trust God and do good. You know, like you, you just, you, 
you step out and you do good and uh, you do the best you can and you just trust God for the rest. And you're like, God is fully capable of taking my, you know, imperfect actions that have all kinds of unintended consequences. He's perfectly capable of transforming those things. Like, and, and, and so I, it's my responsibility to try to act out of a, as pure heart as I can and to try to do the best that I can. And you said that in your message. And really the other side is not just, well, and that's good. You know, my best is good enough. It's like, no, my best is good enough. My, my, you know, because there is a God who takes that and honors that and ultimately is in charge of outcomes. Anyway, we control inputs, God controls the outputs. And I, I think that's important just for us to remember in these discussions. Yeah. Uh, well, this is a question that came in after the message uh, that I, I think is a really thoughtful one. Uh, so they're ref reflecting on the fact that I there, there was a question that someone sent in about people not being Jewish, not going to heaven. And I, I just made the point that, hey, they've chosen, they, they don't want to be with Jesus in this life. Why would we think it's even a good thing to force them to be with Jesus for eternity? You know, that, that, you know this idea of forcing people to be in heaven. So this person is referencing that, and they say, pertaining to the question about those who are Jewish, what about people who are agnostic? For those who don't claim a faith, but do believe in a divine being of some sort, what would, the, would your answer still be the same? I think it's a, just a thoughtful nuance on that. Either you guys have a take? I'll let you take that one, Dion. I was going to say before that, just, uh, you know, related to the Jewish question, I think there is a nuance with Jewish people. And I see this in Christian circles all the time. I think it's a misunderstanding of the chosenness of Israel. And like, that's a, that's a kind of an everlasting thing. And Paul wrestles with this in Romans, what, 8 through 11 ish or 9 through 11. He wrestles with this whole issue of who is Israel and has God's promise failed because he's now saying, no, you, you just can't be Jewish. You need Jesus. And he wrestles with this whole question and still some people kind of get the, what, what I would say is the, the, they come away with the wrong interpretation of that passage because he says all of Israel will be saved, but he does this whole, you know, like in math where you have to do the substitution thing in algebra, he does this whole substitution as he redefines like, oh, but who is actually Israel? Who has Israel always been? And Israel have, have always been people of the promise, people who've trusted God. And he's like, yeah, so I mean, the true Israel is not a bloodline. The true Israel are people who receive the Messiah. They, they believe in Jesus. And so when he says all of Israel will be saved, he's talking about all those who truly are people of the promise, the promise of Jesus, they'll be saved. So yeah, God's promise to Israel's fulfilled, but Israel's always been something more than just a bloodline. But Christians still, and I mean, many, I mean, there's they're probably someone who's watching this who uh, believes or has heard that, you know, as Christians, we need to make the nation of Israel our ally. Um, and what we're actually probably talk about this in a couple of weeks when we get to politics, but Jesus came and he did not come to be the literal king of Israel and to reestablish a theocracy. Like he didn't, he didn't care about the nation of Israel. He was after a different kind of kingdom. And yet I think there's, there's something in us because the Jews, Israel played such a big role throughout the Bible that we're like, but, but surely there must be something still, they, they get some sort of special dispensation or, um, right. Get the loophole uh, so clause. I, right. So I, th I think there's something else in that question of, you know, and I, I, I appreciate that you go, Hey, this is true for anybody. And so I think with an agnostic, um, and I, this kind of gets to the other question that you, you dealt with on the weekend. I think, I think an agnostic who has the opportunity to know, to hear about Jesus and Jesus is the full revelation of God. So you can say, I don't know who God is, but if you've been exposed to the person of Jesus, if you, if you have seen Jesus, 
and you still go, I don't know who God is. You've seen God and you said, no, that's not him. That's not the God I can believe in, or that's not the God I love or trust. Um, and so I think the answer to me would likely be the same. And, and then you answered the other part of the question, I think really well, and I won't re-answer it, but just about, so what about people who've never, who've never heard about Jesus? So the agnostic who's never actually been introduced to Jesus, what, what of them? And uh, you already answered that one. So go back and watch the message. Well, and I think the flip side of it that I didn't really have time to get to in the message and no one asked about it. So I think there's a good chance to, but I think Christians are a little too glib to say who's in heaven and who's in hell. Uh, and I think one really important thing is for us to stop speculating uh, in some sort of a projecting on others kind of a way. Uh, it's one thing to say, like, I have family members who don't believe in, in Jesus and I'm, I'm worried about them. And, and my, my kids and I, we pray for them most nights uh, because that's, it's a burden on our hearts. Um, but to go so far as, as to say, Hey, this group of people or this kind of believer or that agnostic, they're, they're outside of the, of the grace of God. You know, they've been measured and found wanting. Uh, the, the Bible doesn't really give us any uh, leeway to make those kinds of kinds of judgments. Right. Judgment for them has not happened yet. I mean, no. I, that's, there's a judgment day that's coming in the timeline. That's not happened yet. So for us to try to prejudge, <laughs> we're not the judge and the day hasn't happened. Like, now, for us, personally, if we've received Jesus, we believe our judgment has happened in Christ. And so we have, if we receive Christ, then, you know, we have, we have assurance of that that judgment has happened ahead of time for us. But yeah, I think we want to jump the gun and presume that it's happened for other people before it happened. And you know, Jesus, Paul, all of them speak really clearly about that. It's coming. It hasn't happened yet. So don't, don't try to make assumptions about that. Well, and the other thing, too, is I think that too often people of the Christian faith will try to seek out non-believers with the intention of, well, I'm going to bring the, I'm going to get close to this person. I'm going to build up a relationship and then I'm going to bring them to church. I'm going to show them the way. And, and you go in with this relationship that you are like, you're not going in because you want to have a relationship with this person. You're going in simply because you're going to try to, you know, enlighten them. And yeah. I'm going to get this person to church. Like somehow it's going to give check an extra box for me or something like that. Yeah. Tupperware evangelism. Like that's, that's not how we're supposed to do it to people. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things. Oh, yeah. go ahead, dear. No, no, please. Oh, I was going to say, you mentioned postmodernism. I think one of the, the good things that's come out of postmodernism is, uh, is it's really exposed some of the, 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 the false or wrong or, or, bad agendas um, that we have for people. And, and that's not what Christian faith was about either. It's not this check. It's not a quota uh, or check a box. And, and if you've got that kind of an agenda, like postmodernism rightly calls that out that like be authentic, be real, talk about who you are and, and why you are. And if you love someone, then you love them and love them fully and wholly, not just for the sake of getting them to show up to church one weekend. Dion, you have a, does that, that cover your thing? Yeah. All right. Okay. No, I was well, just, one more yeah. question. I mean, in, and we can close me, out. Uh-oh, my interconnection is unstable. I'm good. Just like a little We're all a little control. unstable right now. <laughs> <laughs> our computers are giving us an unfortunate uh, litmus test of our mental sanity. That's right. Um, well, so the last question in place on this, and this is another thing I didn't really have time to get into in the message, but so I'd be interested in hearing your take on it. But so someone's just asking, well, what is hell actually like? Um, I made some reference that hell is locked on the inside. You know, the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Um, you know, but what is hell actually like? Uh, and then, in other words, how mean is it actually of God to send people there? 
That's our last question. I mean, they should have listened to the message better. Whoever wrote that question, you should have listened to the message better. God doesn't send people there. The door's locked from the inside. People choose it, right? Um, but but I think I, what's so hard for me, and this is especially true, this is what I believe, that in in the Western world, in even in America, for those of us who are, are living here, the kingdom of God, the, the, the grace of God is so prevalent. It's like it's an aroma that is wafting all through our country because it's being carried by the, by the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, imperfectly, but yet Jesus is present and his goodness is present. And we all get to kind of enjoy it, whether or not we're inside, inside a relationship with Jesus or outside. I, but I, I mean, I believe just pretty pretty literally, sincerely, that everything good about my life, everything beautiful, everything noble, is because God is the giver of that thing. And so if I'm separated from God, all the good things, I'm cutting myself off from the source of all those good things. And so while I may think like, oh, I, I don't need God, I don't need that person, I don't need that you know, moral authority in my life, I'm just going to lock myself away from him because I don't, I don't want that kind of oppression, but I'm still going to have I'm still going to have all of the, you know, life is good without God. No atheist actually knows life without God because there is this, there is, we're living in this world where God's presence is active and God sends his rain and causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. None of us actually know what it is to live life without God. What hell is, as far as I can understand it, is it is, it is truly a life apart from God, which none of us have ever experienced. But um, when you talk about taking away all the things, God who brings everything good, so without love, without grace, you know, a life, a life uh, with, with just, you know, no compassion, shame, judgment, all of that stuff, you know, there's, there's no forgiveness, there's no morality. God is the source of all that stuff. And so I think, you know, the, the fire and the worms and God torturing people, I think it's just getting at what is life like when you take all the goodness away. Um, and none of us actually know what that is. You know, you can have your heart as set as apart from God as possible. And I mean, some of us get close by some decisions where you go to some pretty dark places and we're like, that was an ugly place. Uh, most, but none of us know what it is to completely shut the door on the goodness of God. Um, and so it's a, it's a pretty big gamble for people. But I think just take, imagine an existence where you take everything good away and that's what we could be looking at. If we absolutely say, no way, God, I don't want you, then we're saying no to all the things that he brings. So in short, a place with no Kansas City style. Right, Sean? You're yeah. a little fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, guys, I think we're, we're slightly losing our internet connection and um, um, we're, we're running out of time anyway. But uh, thanks for helping wrestle. Uh, I think that we've talked about some of the stuff that people have been wrestling with for uh, centuries. And hopefully it's helped just some people in our own community, in our own context, learn how to learn how to engage with it, too. Because I think at the end of the day, like you were alluding to, Dion, there is a, there is an objective right or wrong. God is absolute truth. Uh, but the messiness of sin and our own limited perspective just means that we're always going to be muddling through until we get to go to eternity and ask God about it, I think, in hindsight. And so I think that's the truth. It's not that we're denying God's truth or that there is there is a moral good, but that 
it's always going to be messy for us. And I think the better and more honestly and the more compassionately we we can engage with those things, uh, the better off we're going to we're going to be. So, so thank you for being with me today, Sean and Dion, and thank you for tuning in and joining us wherever you are. I hope that you're having these kinds of conversations and each other. So have a great week. Uh, things are starting to relax restriction wise. So hopefully you can slowly and safely get, uh, get some social connection back. Uh, and I uh, hope that you get to have just good life giving conversations as well. So have a good week. Thanks for being here for Pathfinder Unscripted. Bye.